Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 181. Stop number two on the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, has commenced its competition window and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app as soon as conditions cooperate. Before we get to today's conversation, here are three surfing news items for you to keep in mind this week as you sit in your own lineups. Up first, the opening stop of the 2024 WSLCT season, the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti, was completed over the weekend in historic fashion. The final day of competition saw Oceanside's Katie Simmers and the North Shore's Baron Mamiya take top honors in firing conditions at Pipeline. Super exciting start to the season, and you can catch all the highlights on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Next up, on Sunday, the world received the arguably shocking announcement that reigning two-time world champion Felipe Toledo has withdrawn from the remainder of the 2024 CT season, citing mental health reasons. Toledo had previously withdrawn from the pipe event after his opening round heat, citing stomach issues. Uh, Mitch Salazar, our guest today, and I, we do share our thoughts about this in today's episode, but I want to reiterate up top that Felipe is an incredible surfer and we hope he's able to rest and recover this year so he can return and be amongst the world's best very soon. Finally, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach CT number two has commenced its competition window and will stream live on worldsurfleet.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right. Episode 181. We're back with my part-time co-host for this season, Mitch Salazar, where we discuss the weekend announcement that reigning two-time world champion Felipe Toledo has withdrawn from the remainder of the season. We run through winners and losers from the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti. We dive deep into the update on the Visla CT Shaper rankings following the completion of CT1. We answer listener questions and much more. We had a lot of fun on this podcast and hope you enjoy it. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I you're boxing. All right, we are back with the lineup podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with my part-time co-host for this season again, uh, Mitch Salazar. And wow, we we will do our best not to make this a four-hour episode, but since our preseason episode, there's been quite a lot of news. We had an amazing finish to the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti and won by Katie Simmers and Baron Mamiya. Congrats to both of them, and we'll certainly talk more about that later. And then yesterday, 
Uh, reigning two-time world champion Felipe Toledo announced that he is withdrawing from the remainder of the 2024 championship tour season, citing mental health reasons. Uh, this, of course, came days after his withdrawal from the opening CT stop of the season, in which he cited an illness before his elimination round heat. In a huge week of surfing news, Toledo's announcement is certainly the most recent, and I think it's probably worth it for you and I, Mitch, to talk about it first. Mitch, what were your thoughts about both Felipe's withdrawal from the event and then a few days later learning about his withdrawal from the entire CT season? Well, starting with the withdrawal from the event, a 1.77 heat total doesn't look good for the reigning and defending world champion, Dave, going up against Samuel Pupo, who had a couple of great scores, and then local wildcard Sheon Crawford, who we all know is great out there at both Pipeline and Sunset Beach. Um, realistically, not the result that he was looking for, obviously. He withdraws from the elimination round, doesn't even compete, and while we were doing the broadcast... Um, we got a text in our in, in our group saying, hey, elimination round heat one isn't going out, so we're starting with heat two. I didn't send a message back asking why, and then uh, around half an hour later, we got the update that Felipe withdrew due to an illness. And, um, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in this one. I was actually writing up uh, a few days after that that I think all answers will be defined in Tahiti. We won't be seeing him at the CT event in Tahiti, though, but just... Going off of his past results at Pipe, Dave, has a couple of quarterfinal finishes. One was last year uh, in 2023, given it was way smaller, rippable, not necessarily conditions that you're going to see at Pipe most of the time, and especially thrive in for Felipe. And then in 2014, he also had a fifth place finish. Wasn't big either, but was able to make it into finals day. But he's averaging a 17th place finish right there for somebody who was a two-time world champion, I'd have to say, Dave out of the last four or five world champions that we have on the men's side has to be the lowest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. And, and same as you. Like, I, I obviously wasn't in that camp. I'm, I'm not on the ground. But interestingly enough, and I mentioned this in the, the intro to last week's episode with uh, Leonardo Fioravante, who was just talking about pipeline in general, wasn't referencing the withdrawal or anything like that. But... He, he was just like, look, it is the most dangerous wave on the planet. And I actually think in the last few months, it's really lived up to that, to that, um, to that kind of on, ominous uh, title. Like there's been so many injuries. There's been so many high profile surfers who have been hurt. And Leo said, look, like if any one thing, you know, your equipment, your body, you know, your mental state, um, you know, a stomach illness, whatever, if anything is off, and you're going out to surf serious pipe, it has potentially very serious ramifications. You know, you could die, you, you could end your career. And I think, you know, if Felipe felt ill that morning, I'm sure he was aware of the public narrative out there. And I'm sure in his head, because he's so talented, he's probably hoping, look, if I can go out there, I can survive the opening round heat if I get first or second, and then I'll have a few days to recover. And when that didn't happen, you mentioned, you know, he put up a one seven seven in his opening round heat. He probably just went, look, I, I, I'm, I'm physically not in a position to do this in, in the elimination round. And it, it's tough. And I think it's, it's tough for him because he absolutely has the talent to do well pretty much anywhere, but there are just a few spots where, where that hasn't happened yet few days later we get the news that he's pulling out for the remainder of the year this was on sunday you know, mitch what were you thinking when you got that news and, and how does it relate to the the pipe withdrawal 
pretty damn big shock, Dave. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. It came out of the blue for me. Um, it's been a few years since I knew Carissa was going to take a step back. She's kind of wanted to, to do some other things outside of professional surfing, especially since she's been doing it since she was in her late teens here at the CT level. Stephanie Gilmore kind of came to a surprise, too. I didn't know she was going to take some time off, but I guess it's the right time to do it, especially since she didn't qualify for the Australian team for the Olympics. This one, though, two-time world champion, especially with the final still being at lowers, I think it was a golden opportunity for Felipe to at least try to get a three-peak going. The first person to do it since Sandy Irons in 02, 03, and 04 it would have been. But I think most importantly, just mentioning that he didn't do well at Pipeline, at least getting some redemption throughout the rest of the season, too. Um, out of the last five world champions on the men's side, DeSouza, John John, Italo, and Gabe including Felipe right there too, all four of the other guys have won at Pipeline and have done well in Tahiti. So not to say that he's not capable of doing so, especially with the Olympics coming up and him qualifying for that. He he didn't really announce whether or not he's going to compete there or not. I would think that he is, but most importantly, what it does for your legacy. So when you're being compared to the all-time greats, Andy, Kelly, Mark Ocalupo, who only won one world championship, but we all know what he did for professional surfing just overall. Derek Ho, Tom Carroll. Where do you compare it to all these guys now, given that you're probably competing in the highest level of surfing we've ever seen on the CT, but most importantly, given the format and that he's been a higher seed every single time that we've had the finals at lowers, how does this impact it? And I just feel like if you're not doing well at those two locations, there's no real comparison to those people that have come before you, especially including Gandhi and Kelly, which I think are probably the two most complete surfers of all time, even including John and, and Gabe in that conversation too, Dave. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the the mental health thing is is legitimate. I think you see it across all high level sports and, and, and high pressure situations. And, you know, you mentioned Carissa, you mentioned Steph, you know, those are both surfers that were on tour for well over 10 years, you know, um, Carissa for 13, Steph for probably 15 or more. And, you know, surfing, it, it kind of has that Overton window shifted a little bit because of Kelly, where Kelly's been on tour for 35 years. That's probably not a fair benchmark for elite level talent like a Carissa or a Steph or a Felipe. Like, I'd argue that if we have them on tour for more than a decade, we're all laughing as fans because that's that's such a great thing to experience. Um, and, and with regards to Felipe, you know, he's been on tour for 10 years. His rookie season was 2013. And he was dynamic out the gates. But then over the last, you know, five years, 2019, he finishes fourth. 2021, he finishes second. You know, he wins it in 2022. He wins it in 2023. He is the last five years of a 10-year career amongst the world's best been the target and been in the limelight. And, you know, as a former competitor yourself, Mitch, can you talk to us just a little bit about just the pressures of competing? Because I think a lot of us, myself included, on one half of our brains are going, oh my God, someone's paying you to surf? Like, I have to work a desk job and it's got its own pressure and it's not as glamorous and it's not as fun. You have this amazing lifestyle, but that lifestyle comes with its own set of unique pressure as well and whether it was your own competitive background Mitch or just having been in the trenches and seeing these world title contenders do their thing it's taxing right fully is Dave and I'm glad that you bring that up because everybody thinks that it's just sunshine and rainbows the entire time when you're doing this and yeah you get paid to do something that you love for a living but in the end as a competitor it's just a lot of strain on both your body 
physically and mentally. And, uh, you know, I respect his, his decision. I think it's, you know, something that only him and his close family and friends are truly going to understand. And in the end, just got to respect it because he's the only person that truly knows what he's going through. But most importantly, if he feels like he's done enough to be able to take this time off, then go ahead and do it. You can silence everybody afterwards or just live with it. I mean, in the end, people are always going to critique. And Jake Howard from Surfer Magazine actually wrote something great the other day. There's times where a lot of fans put their world champions down. And I think this could potentially be one of those cases. Not to say that you're not supposed to be critical of these people that are considered the best in the world. But in the end, the guy's still a human being, right? Mm -hmm. And as an athlete, he still wants to be revered as somebody that people look up to. So if he feels like he has to take a step back in order for him to be the best version of himself for people to look up to him, I think that's something truly honorable. But one thing that I will say in 2011, I competed for the Mexican team at ISA World Juniors. He won the U16s. Two months later, gets signed by Nike, comes to the US Open, gets the wild card, destroys everybody in the final over there. You, you mentioned, you know, John John, Connor Coffin, Evan Geiselman, all those guys being in the final with him. He blew them out of the water, qualifies next year for the CT, and has been on the championship tour for 10 years now, been a contender for legitimately five or six. So, you can even call it a career right there if you want, not to say that he's going to do it, but I just think when it comes to strain and especially being in the limelight in Brazil, which is a market that has opened up a lot more, mm. there's probably a lot of pressure on him f from that beautiful South American country, something that we don't see as much here in North America, Dave. Mm, it's fair. You know, and it's a story that I'm sure we're, we're all going to learn a lot more about in the coming months. You know, Felipe, as you've said, is an incredible surfer, um, is sort of... Um, uh, paradigm shifting in so many waves. Um, we certainly wish him the best in his time off and, and hope we get to see him again soon. And while the Toledo news was big, um, it did come on the heels of one of the most exciting final days of event competition we've ever seen. So Mitch, uh, let's get to winners and losers from the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti. Who have you got first? So I feel like we should go losers first. And this is kind of a big one, Dave. Mm. The Brazilian Storm, to me. First time since 2016 that they haven't made the quarterfinals at a CT event on the men's side. Pablo Zanoki from Duke Sur first reported that it's not only that first time, but also a major off event for them as Yago Dora, a former top 10 in the world, was their best result at this one, ninth place. But most importantly, how about the poor result from Gabe, too? Mm. I mean, he loses out in the round of 32, but he posts up a small heat total, Dave. We're talking about a 2.73 heat total against Crosby Cole Pinto, a rookie on tour, where Gabe's averaging close to a fifth-place finish at Pipeline, some place he's made the final multiple times before, and he's won. You know, uh, pretty surprised that they haven't done so well there, and I think it was just a, a wake-up call for them, given all the rookies and all the new young stars that we're seeing on the CT. That's a great point. Um, and obviously, we're going to get to it a little bit too. Conditions, not the easiest forecast we've ever dealt with. So that probably, you know, played a factor into some of that. Yep. But I think it's a great call. And I think that we have seen the rise of the Brazilian storm over the last decade, right? Gabriel won his first world title in 2014. Adriano backed it up in 2015. And, and they have really been dominant on the men's side for a decade pretty much. But in the last few years, you have seen these inroads being made from young Australians, young Hawaiians, young Californians, um, folks from all over the world that are 
eating away at, at, at that dominance. And so I think that's a great one. It's one to keep an eye on for sure in 2024. Um, you know, my first loser uh, that I've, I've identified for this event is actually, you know, Carissa Moore fans, uh, myself included. Before the season started, um, but un inconveniently, after you and I uh, had our first preseason episode, you know, Carissa announced that she'd be stepping away from full-time CT competition after the Lexus Pipe Pro. Um, we've already touched on it. You know, 13 years on tour, we're so fortunate that we got to experience what she did for that amount of time. You know, five world titles, dozens of CT wins. Um, and it could have been very quick. Like it could have been three to five years and that was her window and that was great. But we had 13 and I think it's great. And I wish her all the best in what she does next. That said, you know, going down the way she did at pipe, probably not how anyone wanted to see it happen. Um, myself included, certainly herself included, but that is competition, you know, and that's what happens. And she had an opportunity at the end of her elimination round. heat didn't work out for her. Um, but on the Carissa stuff too, just to end on a brighter spot, and I want to get your take on this too. I, I, just as a surf fan, I've always found Carissa to be so much better a surfer than a competitor. And that's not to knock her as a competitor. It just always felt like she was so much freer without the pressure of the singlet. And and when you watch her free surf or occasionally, you know, there's brilliance certainly in competition for sure. But when you watch her free surf, it is truly, truly special. And I bring that up because she is so accomplished in competition, right? Five world titles, dozens of CT wins. And I think that actually speaks even more to how talented she is. Um, because I don't know if she was ever fully comfortable in it. And we've seen it, you know, in the finals format. I think you could argue we probably saw it at pipe. She didn't seem super confident or comfortable in either heat. And there was a ton of pressure on her because this was her last event. But yeah, my first loser is the Carissa Moore fans because that was the last outing we got to see in competition for her, uh, for now anyway. But I guess the positive is hopefully we'll see her in a, another exciting project outside the jersey soon. Yeah, and we're going to see her in Tahiti too. I think it, it's a good event for her. But mm. I agree. I think she's always been a better surfer just in general than she has been a competitor. Like if you look at Steph's career... Especially in 2022, when she came—I mean, she was dude, number five in the world—and she came back to win the world championship against mm. Carissa at Lowers, and she served a tremendous amount of heats that day. Um, I think it's just a testament to her willpower for Carissa. I think the event that always stands out the most to me is the Surf Ranch because you have the pressure of being in a jersey, yeah, but really, the key to success there is creativity, right. and she just always brought it in each on the on each and every wave, and it almost felt like she just took it as a free surfing session there. And I think that's why she was so successful. Wish her nothing but the best. And I think Tahiti's going to be good. She's looking for a second Olympic gold. And then after that, do whatever you want because you've earned it. And um, getting to my second loser, Dave, it's actually one of Carissa's biggest nemesis. It's Sally Fitzgibbons. Mm. Um, she loses in the round of 16, a really close heat to Tati Weston Webb. But the reason why I put her up here is because she was leading the majority of the heat and let Tati back into it given... It's a format that a lot of these women haven't really used too much at Pipeline. The overlapping heat formats, it's really entertaining, but it can be difficult to manage both time and priority out there. It seemed like towards the end of the heat, she was losing grasp of where to sit, and Tati was just finding these waves underneath priority and got into a good rhythm and found two waves at the end. But the most important thing about Sally is that her confidence coming into 2024 was quite 
good mm. given that she fell off tour in the mid-year cut, had to requalify through the Challenger Series, and now is in a bad position heading into Sunset Beach after a poor result here at Pipeline. It's a great one. And, and you know, Sally is a veteran of the sport. I actually think she's surfing better than ever. Like, I think her surfing's excellent. Um, but you're right. Like, that's an uncharacteristic mistake for her to let something like that slip away. And I think we will continue to see her switched on. Sunset's an interesting opportunity because despite the chaos of the venue sometimes, I think it is a more cerebral venue where experience and tactics and strategy have more of a role to play. And that's somewhere where she could absolutely shine. But similar to, to my second loser in the sense of, I'm going with the establishment generation at Pipeline. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, on the men's side, you had your established pipe hitters like Kelly Slater, Ryan Callanan, Jack Robinson, Yago Dora, Idlo Fajara, Kanoe Garashi, Gabriel Medina, and Seth Moniz all going down much earlier than you'd expect. And aside from arguably the establishment pipe surfer in John John, the men's quarterfinals included Australia's Connor O'Leary, who, who is always dangerous, Baron Mamiya, um, who's an emerging talent, um, more on him later, and Ian Gentile, you know, last year's Rookie of the Year, and in my personal opinion, a, a very dangerous man at, at virtually any venue. Point is, it wasn't the usual pipe suspects that dominated the pointy end of the draw. And on the women's side, we had, you know, the aforementioned Carissa Moore, Sally Fitzgibbons, Tyler Wright, Moana Jones-Wong, Tatiana Weston-Webb, Caroline Marks, and Joanne DeFay all fell short before the semifinals with Simmers, Picklam, Hennessy, and Sakura Johnson making up the final four. You know, the surfing world was highlighting even before the season started that it does feel like a year where there is going to be a significant generational shift. And I think we're seeing it play out um, here at Pipe and, and we'll see how it goes at Sunset. For sure, that's a great call. And I especially think with the American Revolution that we saw last year on the Challenger Series and how well most of them did besides Cole Hausman in this event was something that truly stood out to me. But most importantly, the comfort level that we saw from a lot of them, too. I mean, dude, how was Cade Matson throwing himself over the ledge on that yeah. first day of competition? Like, few people would have done that in a jersey. And he truly went out there and tried to make the most of it. Um, but you actually mentioned my third loser, Dave, and it's Jack Robinson. You know, number five in the world last year, defending event champion. Given how good the waves were on that day where they did compete in overlapping formats, I thought that he was going to post a couple excellent scores. Ends up losing to Ramsey Bukiam in a close heat. But I just think overall, this was a golden opportunity for him to be able to move up into the top 10 at the beginning of the season. Given that Tahiti's earlier in the year too, he probably would have solidified his spot right there if he maintains himself within striking distance of world number one heading into places like Punta Roca and even Brazil. But now with the addition of Fiji, I'm not as preoccupied for him. But you got to look at who's coming up behind the rankings too and how seeding's going to affect things because Gabe lost out early. We saw Felipe withdraw. So his seed's going to you know, be replaced by somebody else too. John John finished uh, you know, runner-up here at this event. So a lot of moving pieces in the first event of the season. And Jack Robinson has a lot of catching up to do an event where he's been successful before. He's won at Sunset Beach at the Challenger Series level and at the junior level. I feel like he's going to have a bounce-back event here, Dave. It's a great pick. It's not the result I don't think any of us expected from Jack. I think that, you know, he's a new father, which is fantastic. And I think that he even looks better than he did last year. Free surfs, yep. you know, early rounds at pipe. Like, 
crazy uncanny relationship with pipe you know and maybe baron and john are the only other two in the draw that have that but as you pointed out like everyone in these draws is dangerous and you have ramsey bukayam coming in um as a replacement surfer you know moroccan he is dangerous everywhere you know and and he showed that it was a close heat and he took down jack pretty early on and i just think that's going to be the story of the year there are no easy heats but as you pointed out for someone like jack he just seems really switched on and he seems like he's surfing better he seems like he's in great headspace i i think we'll see a bounce back result at sunset beach for him um my uh, my final loser and we'll likely get into it a bit more in the next segment but um the sharp eye men's team you know who were so dominant in 2023 just ridiculously dominant on, on just the men's ct shaper rankings they didn't have a great showing at pipe you know no one in the quarterfinals no results uh on the men's side and with the withdrawal of reigning two-time world champion felipe toledo from the season i think it's going to be tough sledding for them this year but and we're going to get to this too they had a huge showing from their women's team which was virtually non-existent in 2023 so weird inversion there i'm sure the men's team's going to bounce back but they didn't have a great performance out at pipe yeah switching to uh winners mitch who you got for your first winner from from the lexus pipe pro presented by yeti well first one's pretty easy it's the surfers representing hawaii nay and you know, Baron Mamiya, John John Florence making the final. Congratulations to both of them, especially to Baron. He gets his second CT win, Dave, and his first at Pipeline. Big stuff, especially dropping a 10 in the final against the Prince of Pipe. Pretty hard to do. Ian Gentile, E. Michaelani Deval, they both make finals day. Gentile gets a semifinal finish, matches his best results so far in the CT. Emi with a great result here, Dave. Quarterfinals, big start to the year for him, especially considering that he didn't make the mid-year cut a few seasons ago. Hmm. And how about Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, too? Dude, I almost felt like she beat Molly Picklin in the semifinals. I know Molly had the 10, but Sakura had the one wave at the end that could have easily gone her way. But big performance by the local surfers. I felt that local knowledge truly prevailed, especially on finals day, Dave. It's a great call. And I mean, the the Hawaiian surfers, you know, many of them young and upcoming. Um, John's obviously been on tour for years at this point, but... Really impressive showing from them and a worthy winner. Uh, my first winner uh, is just that women's class of Katie, Molly, and Betty. You know, uh, obviously we could pick any of them. All three of them could be my one, two, three winners from the event. But but collectively on the final day, uh, it was shocking how well they were surfing. Very serious pipeline. You know, Katie is a, a hugely deserving winner of the event. Uh, Molly and Betty were amazing. You know, Betty had these insane backdoor waves. Molly was sending it on just huge backdoor sets. Like like the biggest waves of the day, I think Molly was bagging from backdoor and just late, steep, like like on her toes, like making the bottom and just pulling up under the lip. And I'm like, hold my, that is a horrifying looking wave. Yeah. Um, and like Molly sending it at pipe, her 10, I I think, is maybe the most critical wave ever ridden by a woman at Pipeline. With full respect to Moana Jones-Wong as well, but you know Molly's entry point on that wave, on her backhand, how she knifed the drop and set her rail 
beyond impressive. Like, if I, yeah. you wouldn't have thought there's any difference between men and women if you just pulled up and squinted and watched that wave. Like, it looked like an insane ride, agnostic of gender. And for Molly to do it at such a young age, she's been so good out there already. But, like, I, it was really, it was paradigm shifting. And I think, you know, the day started with some of the women previously having been untested in those conditions and they answered the call you know katie winning the event and stating that pipe is for the <laughs> girls is it's, it's icon status like it was a great day for for those three i think i was i was just i'm still buzzing from how impressed i was Dude, well th that's actually leading up to my second winner dave because i have you know both katie simmers and, and molly picklin mm -hmm. right here but you know, big props to both of them. Um, same thing goes to Betty Lou. I felt like she did amazing on the last day. But most importantly, I think that might have been the best heat I've ever seen at Pipeline. Uh, not only for, you know, the women that competed there for many different occasions, but I just feel like overall that semifinal between Betty Lou and Molly Picklin is going to go down as one of the best surf heats ever. I yeah. mean, how back and forth was it? The lead shifted quite a few times, and I think Molly just proved in this event because Katie mentioned it during one of her post-heat interviews, Dave, with AJ, that it's so hard to decipher where to sit out there when there's not 150 people sitting in the lineup at the same time. Right. So for a lot of these young women that are coming up that don't surf there as regularly during free surfs, to be able to position yourself and have that kind of comfort in the lineup with two, three people out at the most during a single time frame, I thought was the most impressive thing about it. Her her comfort level, especially going right, was noticeable, but that 10-point ride to me might be one of the best waves I've ever seen in competitive surfing history. Now, let's shift over to Katie Simmers, our champion. Mm. What she was able to do, just cruising through rounds, dropping excellent scores every single heat that she was surfing, but just kind of being that under-the-radar person, I felt was what gave her the confidence to be able to take out Molly in the final because she was never riding a super high, but she was never low. She found a balance throughout the entire event. And just talking about her youth, 18 years of age, wins her first event at Pipe with only this being her second one surfed out there too. Mm. In her second season, when we're starting off 2024, this is the first event. She has three victories in a year and an event long, Dave. It's a great call. Well, we're, we're pretty aligned, I think, for this episode because my, <laughs> my next winner is one you mentioned already, but I've got Baron Mamiya. And, and not just for his win, but for the statement he made in doing so. He was on fire all event, especially on the final day. Just so comfortable, so dangerous. And to beat John John Florence in waves like that in a final at Pipeline it's a huge deal. And, and I think after he won, you know, he said something about, you know, bidding adieu to the imposter syndrome. And I think that's fair as someone who found himself on tour, kind of stumbling in into, into it through wildcard performance, the unusual circumstances a couple of years ago, he's a young guy, he's competing against his heroes and it can, it can be really difficult to feel like you belong. You know, we've talked about it with so many elite level surfers, especially the ones that are coming up really young and going, all right, well, now that you've arrived, you're now having to battle the people whose posters you have on your wall, right? Or whose videos you've worn out in the VCR. I'm really dating myself here. But the point <laughs> being is like, you have to start to feel like you belong. And I think he always should have felt that way because of his talent and his performances. But I think he believes in it now, you know, and I, he absolutely belongs. I, I look forward to seeing 
what he's capable of in the next few events for sure. Well, you go into Sunset Beach. He's won there before. He's a local boy, obviously, with the forecast being what it is right now. seems very favorable for him. And just to reiterate what you said about him being dominant out there at one of the most, if not the most dangerous wave in the world, he's an alpha out there too. And understand that putting out your time at Pipeline, putting in your hours, that's something that few people have been able to do on the CT and be able to rise to the occasion like this. But beating John John, who I think a lot of us consider one of the greatest surfers to ever do it and one of the best to ever do it at Pipe, beating him with the 10 in the final... Pretty impressive, 16 points to 15.33 in the final, and the edge went to Baron Mamiya. And my third winner has to be the fans. I mean, dude, I was doing the broadcast in Spanish, and just being able to call that finals day was absolutely stunning. Um, I know we had a couple ups and downs with, uh, you know, some off days and the two small days, especially for the women. But just overall, the first and final day that we ran were two amazing days, and I feel like it's truly revamping what the CT is all about. World's best surfers, world's best waves, and you want to be able to see people perform, and I felt like the judging was on point, too. If you look at what Luli Pereira and the rest of the judging panel were able to do, they really accentuated the depth of these barrels and the degree of difficulty of a lot of them, too. So from a fan's perspective, I felt like this event was on point, given that you know, we are going to be critical about the calls and whatnot. There were two really small days there in between, and we have to be honest. That's not what we want to see at Pipe. But luckily for us, we were able to finish in amazing conditions and with two of the best finals we've seen in a long time, Dave. It's a good one, and it's a good start. Uh, to the season for surf fans. And yeah, it's a little bit in line with, with my final winner too, which is, you know, it's Jesse Miley Dyer, it's Travis Logie, it's Kayla Durden, and it's the Tours and Competitions office for, for really holding firm to get to that special last day. You know, we mentioned it. it. It wasn't the easiest forecast that we were presented with for this event. And and broadly, you know, like the, the WSL designs its tours to go, we're trying to put ourselves in the best place to put the world's best surfers and the world's best waves but the ocean's ultimately in charge and and this year we were presented with a pretty tricky forecast we did have that bigger than forecast day on the monday that we didn't end up running and everyone and their mother had an opinion about it myself included <laughs> but i i will just add because i thought um you know the journalist ben mondi called this out on social media which i thought was a good point he goes you know the the tours and competitions office has never called an event off when the surfers wanted to run because it was quote too big you know what i mean and anyone saying otherwise is pretty silly like i know for a fact everyone sat around they watched it all day on monday hoping that it would clean up that it would get more organized that it would be doable and unfortunately that didn't happen until it was way too late to start you know you got Kelly Slater saying it's too dangerous and there was nowhere near enough opportunity out there to compete. You got John John's going up to Sunset Beach to surf instead, which is probably all the proof point you need. It just wasn't happening, you know, and unfortunately, I do get it, right? We see a handful of amazing waves from the day um, and we, and we want to watch that happen, but it just wasn't the day for that. And they had to navigate that. They had a, they had a run in a couple of smaller days, which I don't think anyone wanted to see. But hats off to them for holding firm because it got us to Saturday, quarters for the men, quarters for the women, final day. And it was just unquestionably a historic day in surfing, which was exciting. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think the only person that, you know, out of the, the members of finals day that wanted to run on that Monday was actually Baron. He said it in a post-heat interview. He was like, 
I wish we ran yesterday, but guess what? Like, still ended up winning, and that's that's a guy that can do it in those kind of conditions, and he can do it when it's a bit smaller too. And that's what you need to be able to do when you're a CT surfer, and especially if you want to be one of the very elite surfers to make it into the top five at the end of the year. Great call. So, great first stop on the CT, the the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti. We've got the upcoming Hurley Sunset Beach Pro starting this week. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, we are coming back from break. This is the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with Mitchell Salazar, and it is now time for the Visla CT Shaper Rankings update. Shaper Rankings! This is our second year running the the Shaper Rankings, or as Britt Merrick calls it, the contest within the contest, as more than one person has come up and said it's the Shaping World title. Last year, we saw Matt Biolas and Lost Surfboards win CT Shaper of the Year for 2023. They're awarded at the Lexus WSL Awards at the Turtle Bay just before this year's CT season started. And there was a ton of movement last offseason as the world's best board builders got their programs built up for the start of the 2024 CT season. Just a reminder to our listeners, the Visla CT Shaper Rankings ranks shapers based on points given to their team riders who finish in the quarterfinals or better. The ranking is a combined men's and women's ranking. The higher the surfer places, the more points that shaper receives. And we are going to be tracking the Visla CT Shaper Rankings from CT1, which just concluded at Pipeline, 
through CT9, which will be in Fiji, and crown the 2024 CT Shaper of the Year before the WSL Finals in September. So, Mitch, what were your observations from the booth on the equipment that the world's best surfers were riding, and what do you think of the current top five on the Visla CT Shaper rankings after Pipe? Well, pretty surprising that, you know, Mayhem dropped down so much, um, especially given the success that he had at the beginning of the year in 2023. Big props to Channel Islands. I think um, they owe us a couple of boards now, Dave, because we really <laughs> blew them up over at World Juniors. I mean, they had multiple people in finals day over there. And then here, you know, at the Lexus Pipe Pro, obviously getting the win with Baron Mamiya, a new acquisition, by the way, which mm. to me is a great signing. E. Michael Devault makes the quarters too. Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, she was riding them for the majority of the event up until finals day. So Slater Designs, they get those points right there. But overall, I felt like DHD had a solid event too. Um, given that Connor O'Leary decided to go with Takoro's for the last day and he made it into the semis, mm. I thought that was huge for Wade Takoro, but it wasn't as strong for Darren Hanley. And he was pumped. I mean, if you saw him on the broadcast, the guy is legit really, really pumped for this year. He wanted to be able to wear yellow at the end of the season last year, but I think the acquisition of, you know, getting both Ethan Ewing, Con uh, not Connor, uh, Jacob Wilcox on the team full-time too, and he even mentioned on the broadcast that Jacob Wilcox was actually working at his factory a good amount of time in between Challenger Series event just to be able to see what went on behind the scenes. I think that's huge for them. Um, you know, they got five men, Two women on the team that really have good results here at Pipe. I feel like Sunset Beach is going to be a good event for them. And I feel like Mayhem, well, they have a lot to prove going into Sunset because with a good amount of surfers, especially with Crosby, Cole, and Cade being good surfers at Sunset Beach, I would expect them to do well. But, you know, Chris Borst, once again, doing things with Caitlin Simmers. I mean, he moves up into five with just one surfer on the CT, Dave. One's all it takes. I, I want to get into that, but I thought you said something interesting too, and you've spoken about this from, from your own competitive lens in the past as well. But, you know, you, you talked about Connor O'Leary was on Takoro's on that final day en route to his semifinal finish. He is a DHD team rider. Um, those could have been points going to Darren Hanley, but it seemed to be on the ground, you know, those traveling shapers like your Britt Merricks or your Matt Biolises or your Darren Handleys, um, they were they were all just so stoked about not only the, the Vistla CT Shaper rankings, but just to see the world's best on their boards. But it didn't seem like there was any insecurity or animosity if their team riders decided to use a Takoro or use an Arakawa or, or, or use a Pang because they're in Hawaii. You know, Gabriel Medina, who's a, a Kabianka surfboards team rider, he was on Takoros. You know, Jack Robinson, who's a sharp eye uh, team rider, he was on Arakawas. We talked about Connor uh, being a DHD team rider riding Takoros. Leonardo Fioravante had a bunch of different shapers. Betty Lou had a bunch of different shapers. So it, it was cool to see kind of the communal vibe about, even though maybe they weren't getting these points in the rankings, they still were appreciative that these long-standing Hawaiian shapers who have built boards for the best surfers every time they come to Hawaii for decades at this point, were getting their, their flowers as well. But can you talk to us a little bit about that, Mitch? Because you obviously have traveled to Hawaii, you've competed in Hawaii. What is it about the Hawaiian shapers that gives the surfers such confidence in those kinds of waves. 
Well, first things first, as as a surfer and as a competitor, I'm riding what feels good to me. Mm. Uh, so in the end, I feel like that's what Betty Lou had in mind uh, when she was in finals day. She was riding something that just felt comfortable and natural to her. On the side of the Hawaiian shapers, Glenn Peng said it best um, during his little intro with the Vizsla CT shaper rankings on the broadcast. We know these waves better. We know the locations better. And we want to be able to give these traveling surfers the boards that a lot of these local surfers would be riding in these given conditions. So overall, you have Wei Takora, who's an incredible surfer. John Pizel, amazing surfer. Glenn Peng also could easily be, you know, in the 50, 60 plus range of great competitors worldwide. And Eric Arakawa, Jack Robinson mentioned that he's, you know, basically his uncle. Yeah. So having a relationship like that that's super intimate uh, for somebody that makes and designs boards at, you know, the world's most highest quality level possible, I think is super important for somebody who's looking to make it back into the top five and can compete for a world championship. I think they deserve a lot of praise and credit, but more importantly, it goes to show you that you're always going to go with a board that is very accurate to the location. We saw with Mick a lot of times when he used to come to lower trestles too, he used to order Mayhems, and Darren Hadley had nothing to say about it. He was like, dude, I'm going to support you fully in your decision because in the end, if you're winning the world championship and my name's attached to your name, that's perfectly fine with me. So I think in the end, it's just going to come down to those people that are willing to let go of their ego and allow their surfers to surf certain boards at certain locations. And then in the end, Marcio said it on the broadcast in his little piece, I have a couple world championships. I have multiple event wins. So whether or not I win the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings is kind of irrelevant to me. I feel in the end, most of these guys are just too competitive to let that go. But as a surfer, you got to go with what what feels best for you, Dave. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm glad you brought up Marcio and Sharp. I, um, I have a feeling he'd like to be the CT Shaper of the year. And, and <laughs> he, uh, I mean, he could very well do it this year. We mentioned it in the prior segment, but it bears repeating. Like Sharp Eye have built such an impressive program over the last few years, and they were so, so, so dominant on the men's championship tour in 2023. They had bad luck on the women's side last year. They had Joanne DeFay, who went out with an injury early on, and characteristic, uncharacteristic performances from Tatiana Weston-Webb last year. She was, she was performing certainly under her average um, in 2023. But they had the complete inversion at Pipe, right? They had no men's team riders who made it to the quarterfinals or better, but they had three women's team riders put points on the board for them. Joanne DeFay, who's back from injury and, and looks as solid as ever. Luana Silva, who's young but getting her second crack at the CT as a, as a replacement surfer. And then Tatiana Weston-Webb feels like she's found a return to form. Yep. Your opinion on Sharp Eye moving forward, because I think that it will be more of an anomaly that their men's team doesn't put up any results on in the Shaper rankings. And if their women's team is able to flesh that out, they could be very, very dangerous in a very short amount of time. True. And I mean, that's what we talked about all last year, Dave. It's that their women's team didn't perform the way they needed to. And that's why Mayhem was so successful. Carissa, Caroline, obviously, their top two riders on the women's side for loss. But Look at the rankings on the women's side just after Pipe. Mm. They win. Sharp Eye wins that event. Yeah. So 14,235 on the season. Event finish, you know, number one with 10,000 points. And I think most importantly, the confidence that it's going to give a lot of these young women moving forward, too. Because Luana Silva, she's a local at Sunset Beach. She surfs great there. I mean, if you look at her free surfing clips, she's yeah. just outstanding. I feel like Tati 
could easily have a bounce back event, especially on the backhand right there. And the one wild card is Joanna Faye mm. because given that she's had a lot of time off to be able to re- recover fully from injury and has something to prove too because she was a world title contender for two years in a row, I feel like this should be a good event for her too. But I also want to mention um, the additions of Samuel and Miguel Pupo to the JS team. Finally, Jason Stevenson opens up a major market in Brazil. I don't know what took him so long, Dave, but that's a market that he hadn't touched. And given that he was so successful in the late 2000s, early to mid-2010s, he now has multiple riders on the CT. Mm. He has, you know, um, of Miguel and Sam, but most importantly, Ryan Callanan, who's been his stable guy on the championship tour for many years. So big props to them. They still need a bigger women's crew, but overall, that's a big change. Yeah, and Frederico Marias is back for JS as well. Yep. So it's interesting to see him get in the mix. No results for them at Pipe, but early days in the season. I, th- I think it's it's totally worth it for us to round off the the Visla CT Shaper ranking segment by talking about the current front runners. You talked about them already, but it, it it should be emphasized like a really impressive rebuild in the last couple of years from Channel Islands. It's a brand that arguably still has the most world titles on its surfboards over the last several decades. But it's also one that lead shaper Britt Merrick and team manager Brent Powers have been pretty candid about. They've been rebuilding their roster in the last few years after a dominant few decades. And they had a great opening event. You mentioned it. The off-season acquisition of Baron Mamiya, he delivers a win at pipe. You've got returning from the Challenger Series surfer, Emai Kalani Duvall, nabs a quarterfinals result. And that delivered them the the best outing in the opening event for the Visla CT Shaper rankings. It could have been even stronger. You mentioned it before. Betty Lucicura Johnson was riding CIs in the opening days of the event, mm-hmm. um, moved up to her step up with Slater Designs for the final day, so they get those points. But they could be a real danger team to, to watch as well. And I'm sure, like all these programs, they're looking at not only shoring up the talent they currently have on the team and securing them, making sure they've got the right equipment for the right waves, but also looking at some of these other surfers that are out there because there is some fluidity um, on tour on both the men's and women's side in terms of what what, what the world's best surfers are riding. Oh, and just uh, another thing to add for JS, Ramsey Bukim's also on that team. Oh, great point. Great point, yeah. Yeah, so th- they have a, a couple people that they added on, but you know what's so surprising about Channel Islands, Dave? I mean, they have... Out of, out of all the shapers worldwide and all, all of the brands, they probably went downhill the most during, a, what, a span of three or four years. They were kind of irrelevant, almost like Brock Purdy, who made the Super Bowl for the San Francisco 49ers. It felt like that. And all of a sudden, they're back on the scene. They're, they're always being in the, in the conversation of the best shaper and the best boards. And I feel like they probably have the most overall uh, board around this uh, happy every day, which I feel is a perfect board for somebody that's just looking to have fun in any kind of conditions. But they don't have a massive team, and I kind of just noticed that Lakey Peterson she loses out early, mm. no points on the women's side, and you look at the rest of the crew, you're just like, wow, like overall, it comes down to them just doing well on finals there. So as long as they're making it to the semis or the finals, they're going to have a good shot at it. But it's not like they have a massive team still. A, a big amount of props to Sharp Eye, which I feel are going to have a great year. But you can't count out those people that have four or five people overall. And it comes down to doing well on the women's side just because there's a smaller draw. So if you're able to get those people in quarters or better, you're going to have a good chance of being world number one at the end of the season. 
It's a great point. Well, we uh, are going to take one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we will finish up the podcast when we come back. We'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. Welcome back to the lineup. I'm your co-host, Mitchell Salazar, and that is Dave Prodan, CSO of the World Surf League. Dave, let's get into our fan questions. And as always, if we don't get to your question today, we'll be doing our best to get it later on. And we do respond in our DM. So text us at the lineup pod. Our first question from Darrell77, Dave. What are your thoughts on so many big name competitors taking a break from competition? It's a good question. I think that's it's probably been the question that's been on everyone's mind over the last couple of weeks. We we talked about it a little bit in this podcast with you know Carissa stepping away from full time competition, Steph taking a one year hiatus to come back in twenty twenty five, and now Felipe Toledo doing the same. You know, I don't I don't think there's kind of one common theme for why any athlete at any level decides to take a step back or decides to retire. I think everyone's it's case by case and everyone's got their own kind of unique circumstances. Um, I do think the conversation's interesting because as we talked about, you know, we've had, you know, the greatest surfer of all time, Kelly Slater has been on tour for around 35 years. Um, and I think the surfing industrial complex, everyone gets a drink. I'll get it in there once an episode. (laughs) Um, You know, it's a community obsessed with the cult of youth. And Kelly was kind of the next best thing for three decades, right? So he, like a real anomaly, like a real outlier and outlier and so many, you know, forgive the pun, but like so many waves of would-be superstars, of would-be world champions just crashed up against the bow of the SS Slater for so long, you know? And I think that really shifted everyone's understanding of what like an elite level competitor should do with their life. Um, And he is amazing. Like he is an alien, he is an anomaly, et cetera. But I think if you are a world title contender or you're a multi-world title holder, if we're able to have you on tour amongst the world's best for a decade plus, like it is a huge win. And as we talked about, it is hugely taxing. It, it requires so much focus. And for decades, every 
world champs said the same, right? Whether it was Lisa Anderson or Lane Beachley or Andy Irons or Mick Fanning, they've all said you have to be so singularly focused and so selfish to win a world title. Um, and and it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? You have to have that singular focus to compete and to be peaking at that level for as long as you need to, to win. But then that comes with quite a lot of sacrifice. And so I do think that the toll, as you pointed out, physical and mental that it takes on surfers after a while is a lot. And for some of them, maybe they accomplish everything they need to in that window of time. And like Carissa are, are happy to say, thank you. Appreciate it. I'm now stepping away from full-time competition to pursue other interests, both personally and professionally. And then you might get surfers like Steph or Felipe. I mean, Aki in the past, Andy in the past, Kelly in the past who say, I need a break. I, I need a year um, to, to, to fully recover, to, to re-energize so I can come back because I've got more in the tank. I, I just need that break. But yeah, that's, that's my thoughts on, on, on it happening. And I think that, you know, whether you look at Katie or Molly or Betty Lou or Baron or any number of these generational talents coming through, the sport is the sport is the sport. And it, it, it's there to be a platform for the world's best surfing. And you're going to consistently have generations filtering, filtering through, you know, and it's it's hard when you have to say goodbye to like really popular elite level talent. But that's just the course of sport in any sport. But I don't know, Mitch, what do you think about that? I think you're on point. And uh, as any athlete knows, you're just always looking for that same kind of euphoria that you find when you win. And um, I think Steph has accomplished as much as she probably will. Eight world championships. <laughs> I mean, how many CT events has she won? So many. Uh, so many, yeah. Cl close to Kelly, <laughs> right. who has, you know, in, in the 50s. Uh, what Carissa has done over the time period that she's been on tour. And, you know, she, she said that she's not fully closing the door on it. It doesn't seem like, you know, anything is in the near future, but I wouldn't say that she wouldn't come back for a few events or two, given the right waves. Um, but I think the motivation might not be the same either. And I think for somebody like Kelly, he just finds motivation in wanting to compete and succeed and beat other people. That might not be the case for both Steph and Carissa. So I understand why they want to take a little step back. Steph has the option to come back in 2025. You have time. Think about it if you want, go and free surf. And if it's not as entertaining as you thought it was going to be without putting a jersey on, then you can always come back. Now, for Felipe, this is obviously something that's concerning both his mental and physical health, mm. and he feels like it's time. Uh, the one surprising thing about Felipe's timing on it, though, was that it almost felt like he needed a surf at pipe just to be able to see how it would feel. And then afterwards, he's like, you know what, dude, like... I kind of got a taste of it. I, I I need to take a step back. So um, that's the one thing that I will say about Felipe's time away. I, I do think that he's still one of the best surfers in the world, though. So you get him on the right wave, and the guy's going to win most of his heats that he's surfing. Mm. But overall, everybody's different, and only they truly understand what they're going through. So good for them. Hopefully, you know, we, we are able to see them later on on the CT. But for right now, we got to enjoy what we got because – we got a lot of great youth on, on the championship tour, especially Caitlin Simmers and Molly Picklin mm -hmm. on the women's side. Um, and getting into our second question, Dave, from at Bredimus Maximus. Are there any women's events in the past that come close to Katie, Molly, and Betty Lou Sakura Johnson at Pipe? Oh, yeah. No, that, that's a good question, and I want to 
try to avoid recency bias because we're a couple days removed <laughs> from it. I think the honest answer is there's not. I don't think there's ever been a women's final day or a women's event that's come close to what we saw on on Saturday. Like it, it just it blew me away, you know. And, and Katie and Molly and Betty Lou, like in those conditions with that pressure on the the world stage, I, I've never seen anything like it. I, for sure, there's been amazing, you know, women's finals. Like you know, even even looking at kind of the pressure of the 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 finals at lowers the last couple of years and seeing performances from you know Steph or Carissa has been impressive. Um, you know, uh, um, Fiji back in the day, you know, Sally Fitz, you know, bursting your eardrum and, and winning the event. Um, you know, Lakey Peterson at J Bay, like the, the, there are amazing women's events and amazing women's finals. I just think like we've turned the page in this sport as of Saturday and there's no going back. Like, I just think that that, that final day is in a class of its own, but I don't know, Mitch, you might, you might have a, a different take on that. Uh, I just had to look things up because the only event that I can think of that might have been as high scoring as the one we saw on Saturday was the event that we saw in Mex a few years mm. ago. Sure. Um, and given it's it's a fully different wave, I mean, I'm, I'm not comparing Pipeline to Ubarra or anything like that, but the talent that I saw in 2021 at the Corona Open Mexico was, to me, some of the highest we've ever seen, especially on finals day. Uh, Courtney and Malia were searching for the last spot to requalify. Malia needed to win the event. Courtney mm. loses out, and Malia's still going. She makes the final, but eventually loses to the queen of point breaks, Stephanie Gilmore. Right. But how close was it? I mean, 15.83 to 15.27. Those are high heat totals, especially if you're surfing three times in a single day. Carissa posts 17.74 in the quarters. Malia was on a tear. And Steph just slowly but surely was making her way through. Sally Fitzgibbons also makes it into the semifinals there with 15-point-plus heat totals. So I think at Pipeline, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we've never seen a performance like that by any of those female surfers that we saw on finals day there, especially given that a lot of them were looking backdoor, too. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, I always felt that a lot of them were always looking pipe. And to be completely fair, Dave, as a goofy footer, including both you and I, and anybody that's ever surfed pipe before, backdoor is a much scarier wave than pipeline <laughs> at that right. size. You're, you're not throwing yourself under the ledge on that thing, you know? Like, for you to be able to go, like, they had a lot of guts to be able to pull that off. So props to them. Um, I mean, at pipe, I couldn't say no, but I think overall it, it's definitely top five all time for, for women surfing. So... Get a question right there, Bretimus Maximus. <laughs> and um, our third question from at Noah Purington. Which of the two are the women as a whole accelerating faster in? Airs or barrels? Mm. Yeah, that that's another pretty good question. Um, and it's, it's it's close, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it it's... It, it's interesting too, I, I guess, because you, you kind of want to factor in both what happens inside and outside of competition. Um, because if you look at the the calendar um, on the CT, right, especially pre-relegation, it's, you know, Pipe, Sunset Beach, uh, Super Tubos in Paniche, um, Bells Beach and Margaret River. And, you know, it's the same for the men. Like those aren't exactly like aerial based waves right um so we're not seeing a ton of it in competition really on either side unless the conditions warrant it and again i'm trying to avoid the recency bias i just feel like 
even before Saturday, the things that we were seeing from Molly and Katie and Betty and Carissa and you know even Tyler and 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 Coco previously in tube writing, oh Caroline Marks, Tatiana Weston Webb, of course, you know number of surfers on on tour. I, I think they are accelerating faster in barrels um, at the moment, um, but mostly I just think as that's a function of of the waves that they're competing in, right? Um, yeah. And I think if you look at someone like a Sierra Kerr who's coming up, or an Aaron Brooks, um, or a number, you know, Sky Brown, a number of these young women who are coming up through the system, they're crazy aerialists. So it'll be like I, I guess it's a non-answer. I don't really have it, but if I, you know. <laughs> You know, if life was on the line, I'd probably say barrels, I guess, just based on what I've seen recently. But I I just think they're accelerating across the board in in so many ways. And I do think that's part of that generational shift we've been talking about on tour, too. I think, you know, the, the, the platform of the world's best surfing on the championship tour, especially the women's tour of the last decade, you know, there's been... Uh, event parity and then, you know, pay parity and then pay equality. And, and I really do think it's had a part in developing this upcoming generation of women's talent that are coming through the ranks. I think they've seen what needs to be done. I think they've been motivated by the platform that exists before them. And I think they're developing into unbelievable surfers by the time they get to the CT. Um, but what about you, Mitch? What do you think? Like, uh, airs or barrels for, for women's development? Well, I, I agree with you in the sense that most of the waves that you're going to find are going to have more of a barrel section than an air section. An air section is hard to find, and especially to be able to time everything and stuff like that. What we're seeing on the CT is the addition of two venues that hadn't been on the opportunity list for a lot of these women either. So you go to Pipe, you go to Tahiti, and now you have to surf barrels. And I think that's why they're accelerating quicker, and a lot of these young women coming up through both the QS and the junior systems are looking up to them so much is because eventually if they want to make it to the CT, they're going to have to go through those venues. Mm. So I'd say barrels too. But I think in the air sense, I mean, we've we've seen Silvana Lima mm. since, what, 20, 25 years ago start pulling those off and do them on a consistent basis. I mean, she dropped 9.33 last year at the U.S. Open, close to 40 years old, you know. So for her to still be able to do that, Sarah Kerr coming up, Aaron Brooks is obviously, you know, the one person that you want to watch out for. Sky Brown, I think, is great. Bella Kenworthy. Right. And Caitlin Simmers and Molly Picklam on the CT are two of the people that I would think are doing them more and more, especially in a jersey. Carissa had the one crazy one at Newcastle yep. a few years ago that was close to a 10. But I still think the barrels, because most of the venues that we have these events at, kind of force them to surf that way. Um, you're getting scored higher within the barrel. There are few air sections, and for the most part, you're not going to risk getting a good score for wanting to go for an air. So I think that overall, you're promoting more of a barrel kind of reading wave. But in the end, to be the best surfer in the world, you have to be the most complete one. So I think that airs are going to come into value a lot more over the next few months that we're probably going to see here on the CT, Dave. Yeah. I mean, they're both good options, right? I think like the whole goal is like, we want to have a platform for the world's best surfing and whether that's in the tube or on the face or in the air, like if everyone's developing and pushing what people thought was previously possible, then we're in a good spot. So, but appreciate everyone writing in and at the lineup pod, as Mitch said, if we didn't get to your question on the podcast, we will do our best to answer in the DM. So keep those questions and comments coming. Mitch, 
This was a ton of fun. Uh, before before I go, we've got the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach. We are recording uh, during the opening day of the window. It's a late day today. But any predictions for this event over the next week and a half? Well, it, it should be huge a couple of days. I think those are going to be late days. There's a chance that we do run Piahi too. The winds have changed. They're a bit, a bit more variable now. I feel like we're going to see some big stuff by a lot of people that have something to prove here. Want to see Gabe do well, especially a goofy footer on the backhand here at Sunset Beach. It's hard. We're going to have a different champion this year because Felipe's out of the event on the men's side. So Griffin Colapinto, he made the final last year. I feel like those San Clemente kids are going to do well. Cole, Cade, and especially Crosby with the connection that he has with this wave. Don't count out Jacob Wilcox. On the women's side, I feel like this should be a good event for Gabriela Bryan. I think Luana Silva, being a local surfer, should have a good chance. And of course, one of my personal favorites and somebody who finished runner-up at the last event that we had, Molly Picklum looking to defend her title here at Sunset Beach. She's one to look out for, Dave. Man, you're ready with that take. I'm impressed. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> but Mitch, it's always fun talking to you, man. I will keep it up, obviously, on our WhatsApp thread through the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach. And uh, thanks to all the listeners for the support, as always. And Mitch, you and I will talk very soon, I'm sure. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Stop number two on the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, has commenced its competition window and will stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself. Produced by Miguel Clemente with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Wanneño native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 